I decided, you know, these kids didn't just want me to lecture to them. They didn't want me to give them exercises at the end of the chapter every week. They wanted to learn something about the world. And so I kind of violated what was considered proper teacher behavior by giving them an opportunity to express themselves, to work in groups. Back then when they worked in groups, I don't know if you remember, but it was called cheating. <laughs> it was crazy. And that definition of collaboration, if you collaborated on any work, whether it was English, social studies, math, science, journalism, anything, it was cheating. Welcome to How to Have Kids Love Learning, where we explore ideas and strategies for parents and educators that help students thrive. I'm your host, Ed Madison. I'm a professor and researcher at the University of Oregon and serve as executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative, a nonprofit organization that empowers middle and high school students to discover their voice, improve academic outcomes, and become self-directed learners through project-based storytelling. Teaching students to become effective communicators is at the heart of JLI's work. A fitting guest for our inaugural episode is education thought leader Esther Ojiski. She's the co-founder of JLI, an author, and built an amazing journalism program at Palo Alto High School, which was acknowledged by the Obama administration for its excellence. In this interview, we talk about how her own grade school experiences informed her teaching philosophy and the way she raised her own children. Enjoy this conversation with Esther. Esther, just so great to have you here and to uh, be able to kind of reminisce, I think, to start with just about how we met and our work together and everything else. I think you're just the perfect guest for our first episode of our I just our want program. you to know I'm honored. <laughs> I mean, it was a match made in heaven, honestly, yeah. literally, because you were at one side of the room, I was at the other side of the room surrounded by all these students, and you found out that it was my students that were making all those comments. Yes, and what it was is that somebody, what's the guy's name, David something, who invited me on Facebook to this conference at Stanford, and I had never heard of him, and I just thought, I'll go to this thing, and there we were at the same you know, table, and you had, like I think, maybe three or four of your students, and I was so impressed by these young people. I mean, they were so poised and, did, and just smart, and I thought, my God, who are these kids, you know? Right. And then I learned about you and learned about your program and all the awards that it had won, and just for people that are listening, um, you know, who, who may or may not be familiar, um, you know, Palo Alto High School, uh, which is across the street from Stanford, um, has uh, this uh, amazing uh, program that you built. Right. And what was it like when you started? I mean, it was like, what, a handful of kids? and Well, when I first started, it was 1984, and there were only 20 kids, maybe 19 or 20 kids in the program. They didn't quite know what to do with me, so they put me upstairs in the tower building in a quarter room. I think it was number 31. And they're like, just go up there and don't bother us. <laughs> and I decided... You know, these kids didn't just want me to lecture to them. 
They didn't want me to give them exercises at the end of the chapter every week. They wanted to learn something about the world. And so I kind of violated what was considered proper teacher behavior by giving them an opportunity to express themselves, to work in groups. Back then when they worked in groups, I don't know if you remember, but it was called cheating. <laughs> it was crazy. And that definition of collaboration, if you collaborated on any work, whether it was English, social studies, math, science, journalism, anything, it was cheating. And that definition didn't stop until 2005. 2005, can you imagine? Mm. Kids used to have to take home a piece of paper. It was an official piece of paper from the district. Parents had to sign, my daughter or son did not get any help with this homework. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. I'm not making it up. Yeah. You said you had a, I remember you telling a story about uh, they would come in and observe your class. And uh, so you had an agreement with the students that when when whoever the principal or whomever came in to observe, uh, they would be perfectly, you know, hands quiet. on their desk, quiet, right? And <laughs> That's right. I ha they were my co-conspirators because my methods were not seen as positive by the administration. They didn't want kids to talk to each other. They wanted the whole class period. So that was 50 minutes. I was supposed to talk. They were supposed to listen and take notes. And then on Friday, I was supposed to give them a test based on the book that they were reading and based on my notes. No interaction with the class, within the class. And I think, um, knowing a little bit about you, I mean, to some degree, this is informed by what you had to endure as a student, right? I mean, when you were coming up through grade school, uh, you know, just... I got... In Los Angeles Unified School District, they allowed corporal punishment. So if you helped other kids in the class or talked to other kids in the class when you were done with your work, you got spanked. They sent you to the principal's office, and they had a paddle there, and they spanked you. <laughs> I wish I was making this up, but it's true. Just ask anybody in L.A. public schools in the 19, was the 1950s, 1960s. I mean, I don't know when they stopped doing that, but it was okay for a teacher to take a ruler and whack you on the hand or whack you on the head, you know, for doing something that they didn't like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crazy world. Yeah. <laughs> so the program at Palo Alto High, I think um, maybe you, when you started, it was really fledgling and you grew it to, you know, more than 600 students with I lost count of how many publications, you know. Well, actually, you're a little low in the numbers. Oh, okay. It's now 800. Oh, wow. Okay. And there's 10 publications. There might be 12 <laughs> because Paul Kandel, mm -hmm. who is one of my co-founders, helpers, um, he started a program called Entrepreneurial Journalism. And kids go into that program and they can found their own publication. And he helps them set it up, find other kids who might want to work on it, and um, it's a really exciting experience for the kids. It's kind of like setting up your own company, only you're in high school. It's amazing. And share with people just some of the sort of underlying philosophy that's made it so successful that you brought there. Well, I think the underlying philosophy that really has made it successful is 
expressed in the book I wrote, How to Raise Successful People, also my first book, Moonshots in Education. And I put it together in an acronym, and the acronym is TRIC, and it stands for Trust, Respect, Independence, Collaboration, and Kindness. And so I trusted my students a lot, and I respected their ideas, which is part of how the program grew. Because when you respect a kid and you trust their ideas, they want to be with you all the time. And I gave them a lot of independence. Instead of dictating the rules or dictating anything, I collaborated and we always came up with the rules together. So there was very little enforcement on my part because they knew the rules because they created them. Worked really well. And then kindness. Nobody can overemphasize the importance of kindness in the world. And I try to teach them kindness by being kind to them. And it works. I think we need more kindness in this world overall. And the trick philosophy not only works in my journalism program, it worked in all my classes, whether it was social studies or English or math, which is the, are the subjects I taught. Every single one of those classes, the kids did well because of this philosophy. And um, there's another thing that's really important I'd like to emphasize. They never got a grade on anything until they revised it to get an A. And they could revise it once, twice, three times. They got to pick the number of times they wanted to fix it. And, you know, that gets rid of all the writer's block. <laughs> a lot of kids have writer's block because they're afraid that they're going to say something that won't be good enough and they won't get a good grade. They never had to worry about it because they wrote freely. And then if it wasn't well said, they just had to revise and they loved it. Now, I would imagine for many teachers, they might be thinking, well, you know, Palo Alto, very affluent. Uh, you have, you know, all these resources. Of course, when I met you, you were in a, in a portable. Portable, <laughs> right. But, but I think that, um, and we've talked about this before, I mean, you really can accomplish this almost in any setting, particularly now because uh, you can publish, you know, with a free blog post or whatever. and. Uh, and it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to have um, a lot of money to, to, you know, to create a journalism program. You know, you don't have to have really almost no money because in my era, we published on paper. And so paper was expensive. We had to print it and so forth. But you can do it online. There's so many resources online today to help you publish. Kids can do a blog or they can do a whole newspaper online. I mean, there's a program called Newspapers Online, I think, for high schoolers mm -hmm. that works really well. Mm -hmm. And um, if you don't want to use that, you can just get a template of your own. I mean, Apple has templates. Google has templates. They all have templates. Mm -hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, you, the teacher, you don't even have to find them. Let the kids find them. Let them come up with it they'll do a better job than you would ever do because they're so into it. And that's what I did. You know, I allowed them to do research, to pick their own template, to pick their own stories, to figure out how they wanted to do it. And so, I mean, it took a lot of burden off of me. They loved doing it and they grew, they learned. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that people need to realize is when you give responsibility to kids, 
they learn, they do it. And it's, it's so important mm-hmm. to them, their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how a kid feels when they get out of high school, knowing that they've already done so many things in the media world that have impacted either their community or their local group? Let's step away for a moment from our conversation for me to tell you about the Journalistic Learning Initiative's Effective Communicators Program. If you think about it, communication is at the heart of everything we do. That's why strong communicators earn better grades, test higher, and excel at college and in their careers. Students who participate in JLI's programs emerge as effective communicators by researching, interviewing, writing, and publishing stories about topics of interest and global concerns. JLI offers online teacher training, course materials, and a community of practice for educators. For more information, visit journalisticlearning.com and click on Programs. Thanks. One of the stories you tell in the book, and it's one of my favorite stories, is about taking your grandkids to Target. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, I should just tell you that story. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So it was a Saturday morning, and I went over to see my daughter, and she said, oh, you know, the kids need to go buy some supplies for school. And, oh, and by the way, the boy, um, his hair, honestly, he looks like, you know, shaggy dog. Let's see what we can do about that. So she said, why don't you go shopping with the girls on at Target, and then, you know, you can take him to this haircut place near us. So I drove over. As I was driving over, I thought to myself, who knows better what school supplies they need than the kids? They were about nine years old. And I said, hey, guys, why don't I just drop you off yourself at Target and you go shopping and call me when you're done? And they thought, oh, my God, this is wonderful. And they just hopped out of the car and then went into Target. And they're how old at this? Nine. (laughs) And there were two of them. And um, then my grandson, you know, he was about 11. And I said, you know, you know best what you want to look like. I mean, why don't you just tell him what you want and how you want your hair cut? So I just dropped him off at the haircut place. (laughs) It's like, here's the money. Just go in and do it. And in the meantime, I got this phone call from my daughter. She's like, hey, mom. How's the shopping going? And I said, it's great. I just dropped them off at Target and left them there. And she's like, there's this big silence. She gasped. She's like, you did what? You mean they're alone by themselves at Target? It's like, it's like look, last time I checked Target, they didn't seem to be any, any dangers there. No nasty people, nothing. That's a great store. Anyway, um, she's like, don't get them. So I was like, okay, I'll drive over and see how they're doing. So I drove back, and sure enough, they were happy as clams. And they, they, I didn't call them. I waited for them to call me. I was in the parking lot. They called, and they're like, we're done. So I came out in with the credit card, and I gave it to them. I said, this is how you sign it. <laughs> let them sign the credit card. I was like, I hope you got everything you needed. And we hopped in the car. And then we went back to pick up, you know, my grandson. And um, 
he had his hair cut. It looked pretty good. You know, it was not a style I would have picked, but he, he was happy. Yeah. Because after all, it's his hair, right? You want him to be happy with what he's got. And then I came home and uh, with the kids. Well, I should just tell you that after this experience where I got into big trouble, there was a big discussion in the family. <laughs> and it turned out that they agreed I was right. <laughs> and so the younger kids also got to do the same thing. And now these girls get to walk around Stanford Shopping Center by themselves. It's like... Really, it's safe, you guys, and it is safe. You know, you have to give kids an opportunity to be independent. Yeah, and you raised your own kids to to be problem solvers. I mean, that was my own kids. They did things like that even more dramatic than what I had set out to do with my grandkids. I mean, Susan and Janet spent a summer in Europe. They went to France, and Susan was twelve, and Janet was eleven. <laughs> And they flew by themselves and changed planes in JFK alone. So, I mean, I don't know what they were worried about because they, they've done, they did it. Yeah. You know, and it, I should just mention that wasn't the first time they had flown, you know, so we had flown with them before. Mm -hmm. So they knew the, how to do it. Mm -hmm. And they knew, they knew how to problem solve. That was the main thing I was always teaching my children. How to problem solve because every day there's something in life that's a bit of a challenge mm -hmm. and you have to solve it. So for teachers who might be listening to this and just oh, uh, unfortunately I think teacher training programs still uh, still emphasize you know maintaining control of your classroom you know uh, and it, it's still hard I think for for uh, you know, to take on a philosophy where you're just, you just kind of let go of some of that control and, you know, and... It's very difficult for teachers to let go of that control. And I think teachers are in a very difficult position because they're required by law to teach a certain number or a certain curriculum and um, make sure the students are able to do whatever their subject is, math, science, social studies. And they're, they're observed and watched. And so they're trapped, in a sense. Because if they don't do it, then they get into trouble. And so I, I think they, also, they give them a book. You buy a book from Pearson, for example. You get the book. You get the online activities. You get the tests. You worksheets. get the at worksheets. <laughs> you get everything. And so it doesn't leave any time for creativity. Nothing. They're, the teacher is told what to do. The students are told what to do. I think what we need to do is we need to have the parents say to the school boards, you know, we want to give our teachers more control in the classroom. We still have the same goals, but how we reach those goals could be more individual. It could be more creative. In Finland, which tests the highest in the world, that's what the teachers do. The teachers are trusted. They're given a goal for the class, and they reach that goal. Every teacher is slightly different. They reach that goal in many ways that makes it um, interesting and creative for the kids. And I think it's important for us to realize that teachers need creativity. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Thank you so much. I mean, I think this has been really a great conversation and a lot of touch up points for, you know, educators that are listening. And uh, Well, what I would like to say yeah. to conclude is that you can always, you know, text me or send me an email or send you an email. Yeah, right. Both. Um, we'd love to be in touch. Yeah. And, you know, see what we can do to help you. I mean, you can use journalism techniques pretty much in all classes. Mm -hmm. You know, social studies is a perfect place mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. But English, you can also science. do it. And science, mm -hmm. you can do it. And, and even math, mm -hmm. you can do it. And just give kids an opportunity to work together and write an article about something that they're doing in that subject mm -hmm. that might be interesting to them and maybe interesting to their peers and the administration might even find it interesting to yeah. read what the kids are thinking. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. How to Have Kids Love Learning is produced by the Journalistic Learning Initiative. For more information about our work, please visit journalisticlearning.com.